Well, good morning. Good morning, church. So good to be with you this morning. My heart is stirred. So many incredible things happening in our church. Foster Village, uh, it's just a profound picture, I think, of the heart of the Father. We are all foster children, spiritually speaking. And so I think this adoptive foster love is the most powerful force in the universe and can reverse all evil. I truly believe that. My heart is stirred. I'm excited to present this word to you. I've been um, doing a lot of reading and writing and processing, and so I'm excited for what's in store. You guys ready to hear the word? Awesome. Today is a standalone message. Uh, It's a standalone. It's kind of like a buffer from last week to next week. Next week, we're going to start a whole new teaching series on the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so I'm really excited to kind of unpack the reality and the person of Holy Spirit. He's here right now. And so I'm excited to uh, talk about him and glorify him as he glorifies Jesus next week. But today is a standalone message. And so what that means, what that means is uh, me as a, as a pastor gets to like share something that's sort of relevant and burning on my heart, okay? And so after a lot of thought and prayer, um, I've, I've landed on this topic of aliens. Nice. <laughs> You guys okay with that? You don't know about all the truth. No, I'm just kidding. No, that's silly. I wouldn't do that. Um, we're actually going to be talking about something a lot more down to earth. You guys are like still shocked by that, or maybe it just wasn't funny. It's okay. It's all right. But, uh, but we're going to be talking about something a lot more down to earth than aliens and space travel. But we are, we, we're not going to be talking about those things. But we are going to be talking about our journey in life, let's say, or our journey with God. Faith is not a destination. It is a journey. It's a relationship. And maybe even more particularly, I'm going to talk about in this this voyage or this journey with God, I'm going to talk about how anxiety, how anxiety wants to come and enslave us and sabotage our story. There's this quote that I've been um, chewing on all week, and it's this. The critical issue on the journey with God is not, am I happy? But am I free? God bless you. But am I free? Am I free? You know, we live in a very anxious world, don't we? It's just like all around us. I feel like anxiety is this this tyrant that rules our planet, and it conspires to capture and to enslave our hearts and our minds constantly. It's almost like anxiety has become kind of normalized. In our society, I was just like thinking, it's just like, it's just normal to live with this like low-grade anxiety all the time, right? Am I the only one? <laughs> like, it's just like, it's like, it's, it's actually how our economy works. And I'll, I'll touch on that more in the future. But I just believe that anxiety is not supposed to be normal. It's not God's plan for the world. And it's not God's plan for you. The Bible says, throughout the scriptures, the Bible says that Jesus, the Messiah, has come to set the captives free. If you believe that, would you say amen? Amen. Jesus came to set the captives free. And so as Jesus followers, we're called to do the same. You know, we're called to to be set free and then to set free. We're supposed to be the reflection and the extension of this freedom agency from heaven. Now, Jesus is calling for us to embrace, to embrace, to yield and to embrace his love and his joy, as Pastor Luke talked about, and his peace and his rescue through trust. 
through trust, and then become bearers of that love and of that peace to the world. And maybe in more modern language, we'll use this language here. I believe that God is calling us to be a non-anxious presence in the midst of an anxious world so that we can spread love and peace to ourselves and to those around us. So today, this is what I want to talk about. Today, I want to talk about becoming a non-anxious presence. Becoming a non-anxious presence. Let's jump into the teaching text. Uh, this passage has been on my heart all week. I actually used it for a, a Bible study um, at Warrior One Three, um, And so I wanted to, this has just been burning my heart. So we're going to read this, Matthew 14. Matthew 14, this is the story of Jesus walking on water. Many of you guys know this. Let's read this. Let's just take a deep breath in and out. Let's receive this into our inner being. Verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to, the, to them, walking on the, on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell, them to, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter, picture this, he gets out of the boat and walks on the water and came towards Jesus. Wild. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Amen. Everyone say, Son of God. Son of God. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we place ourselves before you. We come to you. We come into your arms in your presence right now, Father. And so, Lord, I just pray for all anxiety to go right now. Just to, right, right out the beginning of the word, this all anxiety, you must go right now in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for the invasion of love and peace and joy. Lord, we just tenderize our heart. We humble ourselves before you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the rescuer. You are the Savior. And so in all of this, we just glorify your name. We want to fix our eyes on you. Many of us are coming in feeling distracted, feeling having the memories of just trying to even get here, all the things going on in our life. But I pray that there is just this beautiful kind of like simpling, this filtering. Things can be simplified. I could just see your face right now, God. And so would you speak to us? We pray that we leave changed in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I want to continue with a, with a question, and you can, just answer, you can just answer in your own head, okay? 
What do you think is the most repeated verse in the Bible? Just think in your head. What's the most repeated verse in the actual scriptures itself? I'll give you a clue. It's a command, and it's repeated 365 times throughout the scriptures, throughout all of the scriptures, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. You guys might be thinking of it, and it's this, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, or some kind of version of that, fear not. <laughs> and right in the middle of this, pas- this passage that we just read, Jesus says it again. He says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You know, but if we're honest, I think it's easier said than done, <laughs> right? Easier said than done, especially if we're in scary situations that we feel like are beyond our control, especially when we live in this society, all these things happening. Right. It's easier said than done. You know, when I was preparing for this message, I asked Rachel, my wife, um, if she could think of any stories of us getting scared. And she immediately said, well, I don't really know, but I do have a lot of stories of me getting scared and you getting annoyed with me. <laughs> so say that, Pastor. And I was like, oh, man, that's probably true, though. Um, but it makes me sound like a really terrible person, but in my defense... Uh, most of the time, it's like us going to sleep and everything's great. And we're just about to like, you know that zone where you're like switching over from consciousness to subconscious. And then she's just like, oh, what? I heard a sound. What? what is that? What is that? And I'm like, and I'm like, no, like what? what? And like my adrenaline's pumping and I'm like, who do I got to fight? And like, what's going on here? And I'm just like, like my heart and you know, blood pressure. And then, and then we're like listening. Just like, what is it? And it's just like the dishwasher, right? It's like, babe, seriously, like I'm, now I'm not going to be able to go to sleep uh, at all. And so I, I think the, re- the reason why I get annoyed is because I'm actually scared. <laughs> and then I'm annoyed that I'm scared, and then I kind of direct it towards Rachel. Sorry, sorry about that. No, not always, not always. But it's funny. I mean, this happens. Uh, I, remember the, I remember this one time Rachel and I went camping, tent camping, in the badlands of South Dakota. And it was the scariest night of my life. Uh, this was before we had kids, and we, we were, like, really into road tripping, and we did, this was, like, the second time we were just, like, tent camping around. And it was the Badlands, and I don't know what happened, what, it's, what the deal was, but we got super spooked and thought, like, a bear was going to come and get us. Like, I, I was certain that there was a bear right outside of my tent. And so I, like, kept looking. Like, I was so scared. And I, like, kept looking out, like, like thinking that there, uh, there was going to be a bear, and then I was just see, like, shadows and darkness and thinking, like, something was looking at me, like, that feeling, like, something's looking at you and wants to eat you. And I remember just getting super scared. And then Rachel was getting scared that I was scared. And I was scared. She was scared. It was like this vicious cycle of being scared. It was like, it was a nightmare. Zero sleep that night. What needed to happen was one of us needed to become a non-anxious presence so that we could stop the super spreading of terror and anxiety in our tent that night. You know, fear, is, uh, fear is, is contagious sometimes, right? It really is contagious. And it's so easy for, for anxiety and fear to be kind of become this, like, self-perpetuating reality. You know, and not only for, like, a couple who are tent camping in the Badlands, but, like, just in normal day-to-day life. It's just like, whoa, I'm just an- you're an- I'm anxious. Are you anxious? Like, I'm feeling some anxiety here. Like, it just, you can feel it. It's, it's like this, this virus. And it happens... In, and it can be the static state of anxiety in like marriages and in families and whole communities and society at large. The thinker, Edwin Friedman, um, he 
was a really thoughtful uh, rabbi and therapist. And he's the one who coined the idea of a non-anxious presence. And he proposed, as I've been mentioning, he's been proposed that anxiety acts like a virus and therefore it spreads and it circulates. So even though kind of, even though anxiety has become kind of more and more normalized, even though, even though we are making a lot of progress in our society, right? Maybe there's some bumps in the roads, the economy, there is war, like things are happening, but from like 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 1,500 years ago, like we were making a lot of progress. But what he was proposing was that there's there like the, almost like this epidemic of regression when it comes to our emotions and our relationships. We're, prog- we're progressing in so many ways, but emotional health is dec- declining. Relational health is declining. And as a result of this emotional unsettledness and immaturity and, and sickness, it sabotages a, a, an opportunity to experience restoration. It sabotages renewal, not only in society, but also in the church, I believe. And it happens also in our families and in our communities. Why isn't revival and renewal happening? I think it's related to these, these things. And in Friedman's work, he proposed that Many of us get caught up in this perpetual cycle of anxiety, this downward spiral, okay? And so I wanna go through these stages and talk about this spiral. You guys with me? I'm really excited about all of this stuff. I feel like it's profound. And the more we move on, like from 2020 to 2021, here we are in 2022, and moving on, I feel like it's crystallizing. It's like you're you're like almost a prophetic psychologist Things are coming about as you predicted. And so let's go through it. You guys ready for this? Yeah. First one is reactivity. Reactivity. So this is, the vicious cycle is kicked off with this impulse to react. Reactivity. This is where people react to external things that are happening in our day-to-day life, events in our life, with internal anxiety and fear and anger and outrage and frustration, and sadness, the whole spectrum. You know, the 24-hour news cycle and social media and media in general thrive off this reactivity. It's the attention economy. It's how billions of dollars are made because reaction and anxiety demands our attention. And so our attention is sort of held hostage for money, if you think about it, because attention drives what? Advertising and it drives subscriptions, and it builds, and it, the revenue is worth billions and billions of dollars. It's almost, it's almost like when I open my phone nowadays, like, and I, I'm sure you too, when we open up our phone or our computer, we get online, we go watch the news, maybe for you it's t- watching uh, the news on TV. It's like our brain is literally walking onto a battleground, right? It's just like vigilance, like hyper-awareness, like this is not good for our nervous system. It's like having jumper cables connected to our nervous system at all times. This is not good. No wonder we're emotionally unhealthy. We live in an age of anxiety. And anxiety, it amplifies fear. And fear suffocates trust. And it suffocates love. So as a result, our emotions and our relationships had never been more unstable. And that feeds into number two. This is a mob mentality or an isolation mentality. 
You guys tracking with this so far? So this mob mentality or it's an isolation mentality. And so people react to these external events of their life with internal anxiety and fear, outrage, and then it spirals into this herd or mob mentality. And we saw that, we saw that happen in 2020, right? Before our eyes, like literal mobs taking place. <laughs> it's like anxiety was taking over the planet and humanity was kind of doing this, this thing. And it was like happening in tribalism. It was happening politically. It was happening literally on the streets of our cities. And then this also happens in our communities as well. And then the other thing that also happens, which we also saw in 2020, in light of all the pandemic and everything, was like this radical isolation. Like radical isolation, both physical isolation, but even more commonly, I think, emotional isolation. And it kind of galvanized our propensity to be like withdrawn and emotionally reserved and emotionally immature. And so that mentality, when it, when it hits, we, we have this propensity to just cut ourselves off from relationships and isolate. Number three, this feeds into number three, which is called blame displacement. Blame displacement or blame shifting, right? This quote from um, author Mark Sayers. If you don't know who Mark Sayers, is, Mark Sayers is, check him out. He is, I think he's such a forward thinker in the Christian world. And he's out of Australia. And he writes this. Instead of examining and searching out the underlying causes creating toxicity, we focus on the symptoms. Rather than taking a proactive approach that examines our ability to affect change in areas in which we have a responsibility, we retreat into a perpetual victim status, blaming others and external forces. As blame is thrown around, a cultural paralysis sets in, creating a gridlock which prevents Renewal. This leads to number four. Number four is a quick fix mentality. Quick fix mentality. This is like we're looking for that hack. We're looking for that quick solution. Let's just get over these problems. Let's move on. But it's also like instant gratification. And our whole world is, is you know, just Amazon Prime. How, you know, all these things, fast food, microwave, all these things are just kind of coalescing to, to build this expectation of instant gratification, which also leads into a hedonism, which is like this pursuit of pleasure. Let's just numb this. Let me just do this. It's like, I know that there's, there's a big, there's a problem here um, that I need to fix, and it's probably going to take a long time, but I can't fix it right now, but I want to quickly fix it, so maybe I'll just have that fourth glass of bourbon, right? And like, that will help a little bit, right? It's just like, it's so normalized to do that. It's so we go into this hedonism kind of thing. And another way that this kind of quick fix uh, mentality manifests is by just quitting. <laughs> just quitting. When things get hard, we just quit. And as a result, all of this creates in us this low threshold for pain. You know, we, we can't handle pain. And a low level of resilience, which we're talking about upstairs. It's just, we're, we're conditioned to like have this low level of resilience. And what the, what, what the writers of the New Testament also call maybe forbearance or perseverance or endurance or just good old-fashioned patience and hard work. And it makes, it makes, you know, we want with this mentality, we want this, this silver bullet, this quick and easy solutions to long-term, complex, hard problems that involve the soul and relationships. We, it's just, there's no formula for that. And so we end up having this quick fix mentality that only perpetuates anxiety. 
And this leads us, finally, all of this conspires to create a lack of well-differentiated leadership. This is basically, this is technical language from the world of psychology, but what this means, like when someone is well-differentiated, they have like clear, healthy boundaries, okay? They have like clear, healthy, like a demarcation. This is, this is me, and this, this is you, right? Like, that's what it's talking about there. It's like, that's, that's your emotions. These are my emotions. Your emotions don't get to dictate my emotions, right? This is what we're talking about here. And all of this, when this, this happens, this vicious cycle, when this happens, it works together to create an environment that robs us from emotional capacity, relational capacity. It sabotages our journey, as I started out with and it prevents restoration and renewal. So how do we, how do we contend against this, okay? And, and I invite you to challenge this, you know, you're, you're empowered to disagree, but I feel like so a lot of this stuff rings true in, in large regard. But how do we fix this? How do we fix this cycle? Well, this is where a non-anxious presence comes in. A non-anxious presence, really, it's just, the presence of the Lord. It's the presence of the Lord. The presence of God, the presence of Jesus needs to go right into the middle of this vicious cycle. This is how it breaks. There's this passage, or not passage, there's this um, quote that I often read to you guys. Uh, it's from John Tyson. It's not scripture, but I, I hold it in high regard, and I feel like it just carries an anointing. And he says this, the inner work of the Spirit, giving secret rest, peace, and joy, regardless of outer circumstances, is one of, the, one of the deepest graces a Christian enjoys in a broken and anxious world. This is what it's speaking into. So what I believe that God is calling us to do is to stop and experience, stop the cycle and to experience his non-anxious presence, the presence of Jesus, and then and to receive it. And then from his imparted love, he imparts it to us, he gives it to us freely. This is the picture of the gospel. We, we, from his imparted love and from his imparted peace, we step into our world. <laughs> And we even provide it for ourselves, and we step into our places of work, into our neighborhoods, into our marriages, into society, carrying this capacity to break this vicious cycle of fear and broken trust. And so I give you a lot of information, but I feel like there's no better person to tell you about the presence of God than God. <laughs> and so I just want to take a moment here and allow our bodies to become receptors, our soul and our spirit and our minds to become receptors of God's presence. And so if you would, would you just close your eyes? And maybe put out your hands like you're, you're catching water, posture of receiving, you're gonna receive something, put your palms up. And just pause in God's presence. And so, Jesus, we're just after you. And we thank you for your rescue. We thank you for your presence, for your joy, for your power. And so, Holy Spirit, would you just pour out your love right now? Pour out your presence right now.
So Lord, we just declare you faithful and good. And we thank you for pouring out your love and your joy and your safety and your non-anxious presence in this place. I pray that we can grow. I want to grow in becoming more receptive to your presence. And it's not based solely on emotion, but on faith. And so we give you our faith. We give you our surrender, not based on our own capacity or ability, but on yours. And so we love you and we thank you. Would you lead the rest of our time today? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I hope that blesses you. I think it's so important for us to be able to, like we come to church and it's not just a data dump, right? It's like us connecting with God. It's like, let me just unplug from everything I've been doing. I need to plug into you. It's so healthy. So how do we, how do we become, let me, let me, I think I lost my way here. Yeah, so how do we become the kind of people, the kind of family of God, the kind of followers of Jesus who has the capacity to live in love and not fear? Well, we just started, we just practiced that just a moment ago. And it's actually one of our three values, right? Presence, relationship, and mission. And so everything we do flows from the nearness of God, our dependence on his closeness and his presence. And it's not only that we receive his presence, although it is that, but it's not consumeristic where it's like, okay, God, do all the work, I'm waiting. You know, it's like, it's obviously more than that. It takes for us to partner with him, to partner with him in his, his presence pouring out and restoring the world and bringing renewal to the world. So I wanna give you five practices from the life and teachings of Jesus and that come to us from the book of Matthew and through the New Testament that serve almost as like a counter, as like counter habits to this vicious cycle of anxiety. Sound good? So this is it. You ready? Let's jump in. Number one is attention. Attention. Giving God more of our attention. Practicing intentional attention. In Matthew 14, 29, it says, Then Peter got out of the boat walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. You know, when Peter had his eyes on Jesus, he could literally do what? <laughs> he can literally walk on water. And when Jesus, when Jesus was the center of his attention, when he, when he was fixated on Jesus alone, on the face of Jesus, the waves and the wind and the storm and all the circumstances happening around him, like it almost it didn't even matter. It didn't even really matter. But when he took his eyes off of Jesus, off of the source of love and life, fear invaded and he began to sink. No, it wasn't the violence of the winds nor the raging of the waves which endangered his life, but the shifting of his attention off of Jesus. You know, we have, to, we have to be a people that reclaim our first love and attention upon the Lord. This is how we live. The world conspires to lie to us and say, no, you're, just look at yourself. Just worry about yourself. No, 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 no. We fix our, our eyes on the one who gives life, who breathes life, who is love. And so we focus on him and we trust him. You know, we have this God, we see the scriptures we have this God-given invitation and ability 
to literally walk on the waves of our life, proverbial waves of our life, not to sink into them, right? So what does this practically look like? What does this practically look like? Well, much of this comes back to, I believe, to prayer. It comes back to prayer and simply a simple question, how much time are we giving to prayer? How much time are we giving to prayer? How much are we prioritizing it? And I could, I could talk about prayer for days and from many different angles because I believe that it sits at the center of the Christian journey and it sits at the center of the Christian lifestyle. It's something I'm trying to grow in, something that we all link arms and grow in. And, and for, this, for, this, for this practice of attention and prayer, I wanna suggest for us to engage in what a lot of church traditions call contemplative prayer contemplative prayer. And this is, it's, it sounds kind of complex maybe, but really it's just where we give God our attention and we give God our affection and then we receive his attention and his affection. And then in this, there's this divine exchange, this synergy where the creator of the world looks down and sees you and knows you and unconditionally loves you and when this happens, like, we're literally transformed. Like, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just brought to, like, this idea of, like, a child being held in its, parent, in, its, in its parents' arms, its mother's arms, perhaps. And there's this exchange that actually, like, literally changes the chemical dynamic of the child, right? And it's, like, wholeness and health comes upon this child. And this happens during contemplative prayer, among other things as well. And the scriptures often refer to it as communion, it's communion. I'm just communing with you, Father. I'm connected with you. I'm connected with you. You know, um, I think sometimes prayer comes, comes, comes off like a little bit religious. <laughs> and I just hate that. But it's like, oh, we need to have fancy words, or I need to have like this, this ancient like formula. And it's like, no, you don't. You just, you just come to God like a child comes to his parent or her parent. And it's also not, it's not like um, meant to be something that you do out of performance either or achievement. We just simply relax into the goodness of God. <laughs> Doesn't that take the pressure off? Just relax into his safety. Prayer is this dynamic of resting in him and making our emotional home in God. Not making our emotional home in the situations around us or the problems around us or the people around us, but in God. And what the scriptures promise is when we do this, when we give Jesus our faith, he actually makes his home in us, even his emotional home in us. Isn't that profound? And so all of the limitless peace and love that God carries is inside of you and me. This is, like, this is the invitation of the Christ follower. And Jesus is the greatest example of this. This is what he came to do, was to be an example of this. And constantly, the writers of the Gospels mention that Jesus did what? He went off alone to pray. That was, that's for all the introverts right there. <laughs> went alone to pray. Even um, in Matthew 14, we see this from the teaching text, Matthew 14, 23. After he had dismissed them, he went up onto a mountainside by himself, to pray. And I, just, I don't know about you, but if Jesus needs to do this, I know I need to. And I think you do too. <laughs> and I promise you, if you practice this, this communion, if you practice this attention 
on God, if you do this on a daily basis, out of this communion, deep, unstoppable peace will invade, like the coming of a storm, like the rising of a sun. This is what God has available to us. And it will give us the capacity to walk on water, at least emotionally. <laughs> That's number one. Number two is slowing. Slowing. I love what Pete Scazzaro, author of Emotional Healthy Spirituality, calls slowed down spirituality. A couple months ago, we did a long series on the danger of hurry. You guys remember that? Yeah. It was a really, I thought it really was touching a nerve. It's like, because we are living, we're, we're all so hurried. And it was based on this quote from theologian Dallas Willard, and his statement kind of sat at the center of the series, and it was this, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Hurry is that dangerous. You must ruthlessly, I love the violence of that, ruthlessly eliminate. It's not just a side note. Now, I have to think about the stories of Jesus. Like, if you think back to the gospel and all these reports of, like, the life of Jesus, a lot of them, maybe even most of them, I venture to say, are interruptions to Jesus' day-to-day life. C.S. Lewis once said, how you respond to an interruption is who you actually are. And uh, as a dad, it particularly, like, that's just like, ah, like, just shot to the heart, right? But Jesus, what, what we see is that he had enough space, right? He had enough margin to, to welcome interruption and to, and not with, like, with anxiety or agitation, but with love. And I'm convinced that this love and hurry are incompatible. They're just incompatible. If we're living a healthy, if we're living a, a hurried life, Love is going to be pushed to the side. It's just the way it works. And so we need, to, we need to slow down. We need to maybe even like get, eliminate some stuff from our life and reprioritize our life around what matters most. And that's not just like adding in more church or adding in more Jesus, but like carving some other stuff out. Yeah. A lot of times that looks like work and a lot of times it looks like pleasure, like comfort stuff. But when you pursue those things, something will erupt inside you and be birthed. It's a life of flourishing because it's the way we were designed. That leads us to number three, and this is koinonia. Koinonia. This is not an English word. This is a Greek word, um, but it's, it's used throughout the New Testament very often to refer to these type of relationships that are intense and that are vulnerable and that are committed. It's these committed relational bonds that are shared between the people of God, between the followers of Jesus. You know, Jesus lived in perpetual communion with God, but he still needed a community of brothers and sisters, right? We cannot live this life alone. We live in this hyper-individualistic society, and with that comes this toxic shadow side of loneliness, and we know some of like the, the damage that's spread through loneliness. There is a deep ache and longing in our heart for koinonia, for community. Whether we know it or not, we have this ache for those deep and honest and vulnerable and forgiving and fun and joyful and self-giving relationships. This is the stuff of church, right? This is what church is supposed to be like, and it's what our life is supposed to be like. It's what marks a life of flourishing. This brings us to number four. This is grace. Grace as a verb. Practicing grace. And in many ways, as, as I was praying about this this week, I was like, 
how do we, how do I like distill the practice of the economy of heaven, essentially? Like what, how do I, this is such a big topic, but I think that the Lord's prayer is a beautiful kind of rendering of the practice of grace. And that's found in Matthew 6, verse 9. You guys with me? You guys processing? Hopefully it's blessing you. There's a lot of good stuff in here. It says this, the Lord's Prayer, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Let's go through this just almost line by line real quick here. Verse nine, our Father in heaven. Have you, have you ever thought about the implications of the God the creator being your father? Like it's just exponential implications of this reality. But practicing grace is, is like, what I would wanna highlight here is practicing grace is knowing that you're not, that you are defined by your heavenly father, not by problems or by people or by other circumstances, you are defined by your heavenly father. Next line, hallowed be your name. This is, this, what this teaches us is practicing grace is worship. Hallowed be your name, I worship you. I lower myself and I elevate you and something, the, the divine order of creation takes place in this process. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Practicing grace Instead of blame displacement, we learn to partner with God to bring heaven into our situations. Verse 11, give us today our daily bread. And I feel like what we can learn from this is we assess what we need. And then we ask the Lord, who's generous, and then we trust him for it. Maybe you're coming in and you need healing. We ask the Lord, and then we trust him for it. Maybe you need restoration. Maybe you need provision. Maybe you need reconciliation, forgiveness. We ask the Lord and then we trust him. Uh, verse, verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Practicing grace is receiving forgiveness and then extending forgiveness, amen? This is the practice of grace. When we do this, anxiety erodes. <laughs> It just has to flee. And last but not least, the fifth practice that we see from the ways of Jesus for our purposes that we come to today is number five, freedom. Freedom. Practicing freedom. And this is the idea that a lot of Christian psychologists call detachment or maybe boundaries. Dr. Henry Cloud says this, boundaries define us. They define what is me and what is not me. A boundary shows me where I end and someone else begins, leading me to a sense of ownership. Knowing what I am to own and take responsibility for gives me freedom. But this practice of freedom is even more than just healthy boundaries. It's the practice of, of freedom. This, this concept, it's hard to kind of unpack because it's coming from the Greek, but it goes all the way through church history and all the way back to Jesus himself it's a lot of time it's referred to as yielding. It's yielding. This is also an idea of surrender. Surrender. I want to call up the, the band. We're going to move to a close here as we land on this idea of freedom, surrender, and yielding. 
So this idea of freedom, this idea of yielding, it's kind of like relinquishing your need to control. The, the need to maneuver and manipulate problems and people to force our desired end. Yielding is, is a, this, it's this picture of, of surrender. And paradoxically, freedom is birthed out of surrender. It's birthed out of surrender, out of yielding. You know, freedom happens when we surrender our need to, to control and then the need to be Lord of our own life, Lord of, of the world, to build our own empire. These, a lot of times these things manifest in careerism or whatever, gaining money. But it's like, I just, I just gonna, I'm just gonna put that aside. I'm just surrendering to you. I'm actually not responsible for all of this. I get to yield and surrender. It reminds me when, when Peter reaches out from the water and he's like, Lord, save me, I'm sinking. And then Jesus reaches out. It's like in this moment, he's, he's in this like really kind of like intense situation where he knows he needs to surrender and reach out to Jesus. A lot of us don't even realize that we're sinking. Some of us do. But we reach out, we surrender. Lord, would you save me? And immediately, the scripture says immediately, full of compassion, he rescues him. And if you're in that place, this is the heart of God for you as well. In that moment, displaying so much compassion and so much power in the same moment. And it's brought, it brings the disciples to what Matthew chronicles in 1433. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly you are the son of God. You know, there's these moments in my life where I, I just being real, like I just feel like I'm sinking in my own heart. I'm just sinking in with, within myself. There's just stuff crowding around me. There's all this stuff going on. I'm just, and I just want to withdraw, go into my own place. And in, in, in that also, I, I kind of like cover myself with a hard-heartedness. And I get hard towards, to, towards the Lord and I get hard towards people. But there's these, there's moments like that, I, that I'm able to just shift my, my eyes just for even a moment and I catch a glimpse of Jesus. And my heart begins to tenderize and I reach out and he grabs me out of my sinking. Out of my hard-heartedness. And as he pulls me out, there's like this resolve that takes place inside of me. It's like, what was I doing? Why did I look away? No, I will, I will always fix my eyes on you, Jesus. And then I end up turning away and then I have to do it all over again. This is the Christian life. But I, I believe that God is inviting us to be a church set aside for those who worship him and give him our full attention. To, to say it, One Chapel Lake Travis, there is no rival. There's no other love that competes with Jesus. And when we give him our attention, friends, when we actually look him in the face, fear flees. And love comes like the calming of a storm. Friends, we are called to be a people that fix our eyes on Jesus, to worship him to behold him, to see him. When we behold him, we become like him. 
And then we grow this ability, this capacity to carry his non-anxious presence, <laughs> to carry his peace-making presence everywhere we go. So with that, my heart is to just shift here into a moment of ministry and in fact, take communion, um, the Lord's Supper today. And so we have these elements at the corners of the stage and back there. And if you're new to this, um, feel free to, well, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, feel free to partake. And I just, as a, as a pro tip, take the first layer off first, and then the second layer, take the wafer out. Um, these practical things really matter. But I believe that God has a substance of peace for us this morning, for us to be, to be able to, to, honestly, to feed on the nourishment of life that's provided through the blood of Jesus and the flesh of Jesus. And so I wanna encourage us to just worship to this song. We're gonna have a, a song here. And allow your heart to just be wooed by the Spirit. Allow yourself to see Jesus in this time. So how you're leading, just feel free to grab the elements and let's worship together and let's commune with Jesus, amen? Let's do that now.